But uh, anyway, happy Mother's Day. Today um, we're on Mother's Day. I thought this would be a really great chance to talk about this topic. Don't worry, we're not going to beat up mothers and kind of put you down the whole sermon. We're also not going to beat up men and put men down the whole sermon. I know that uh, that has happened in some places. We are going to talk about this new idea of, uh, of a series that we're starting today called Own It. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I told you the story about this Nintendo. This is the actual Nintendo. If you, don't, if you weren't here to hear the story, just kind of the overview, my, my neighbor friend kid who was an awful influence on me, he did some really bad things and he roped me into doing some really bad things with him like, uh, well, I just won't tell you. You can just use your imagination. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, my wife still thinks I should feel guilty about the fact that I did this to this kid, but really it was just getting payback for all the bad things he roped me into. And so I don't feel bad about it one little bit. I don't know where this guy is today, but uh, hopefully God found him and, and he got things under control. But um, this is the Nintendo. He, was, he wanted to buy something. I don't remember. Maybe it was a Sega Genesis. Who knows? But he needed some money. And so um, he had this. He was going to sell this, and he was going to sell it for $60. And, you know, I didn't have $60. I'd get in trouble if I spent that much money on something like this. And so I just kind of, you know, bartered with him, started working on my bartering skills at a very young age, and talked him all the way down to $12 and bought this for $12 as a kid and uh, have kept it ever since. Didn't honestly play it all that much because just never really been the kind of guy that was really into video games. Um, still am not, don't play any video games today, just not really all that interested in the idea of video games, and we may explain that just a little bit later. But this was the original, right? I mean, I know there was Atari and they had all of that stuff, but, but I got a little video I want you to show, see if we can kind of refresh our memory from what this was here. Has anyone, we can just maybe turn the audio off and let the video kind of play in the background for a little bit. Anyone has seen these videos before, know what they are? What are they? Walkthroughs, right? So, um, you know, I never did actually beat the original Mario Brothers when I was playing it, but I know people who did. But so there's, there's this whole thing, there's videos all over YouTube where you can do a walkthrough of a video game. And this one is 28 minutes long. So if you've got 28 minutes later today and you have nothing better to do on Mother's Day, like celebrate your mom or your wife or whatever, you know, then you can just really get the year started off on a great foot and just ignore her for 28 minutes and, and watch this video. Uh, but the video will actually walk you all the way through from beginning to end how to beat the game, right? And so if you've never beat it and you want to know how to do it, then you can go watch this video called The Walkthrough, and you can watch someone else play the game, which is kind of cool for that purpose, but if all we ever do is watch someone else play the game, that's kind of lame, right? And I'm not going to pick on my kids too much today, but there was a season in my kid's life when they actually were really into watching walkthroughs, and they would just watch, and they would spend hours. This was back uh, when, before we had moved. Now we have limited internet uh, bandwidth, and so we can't you know, just use unlimited data to go do something like watch YouTube all day. And so they would watch YouTube all day, and they'd watch these walkthroughs, and they'd kind of watch people play the games all the way through, and then that would you know, bring up a related video, and then they'd watch another walkthrough, and that'd bring up a related video, and they'd watch another walkthrough, and finally it's kind of like, hey, why don't you actually play the video game, right, instead of just watching somebody play the video game, and, you know, it's all 
kind of bad enough, right, that we maybe have invested or wasted so much time playing video games, but to then take it the next step and just watch somebody else play the video game, it's kind of, kind of well, it's just really stupid if you want the honest truth. So um, I would not recommend spending the rest of your day watching walkthroughs, but um, today what I want to talk about is changing our, our perspective and our faith from, from the idea of walkthrough to playing. And what I'm going to ask for you to think about as we go through the course of our talk this morning is I want you to think about in your relationship with God, in your walk with God, have you been approaching it from the perspective of a walkthrough, watching somebody else do it, and watching them live their life of faith, and then when something happens, when some kind of crisis comes up, then you try to go over and lean and borrow their faith because you need a little something to get you through the hard times, the trials, and the hard things that you're going through, and you don't have your own faith, so you've been leaning on them, so when something comes on, you just try to go and lean. Or do you have your own faith? Have you picked up your own controller, and have you entered the game for yourself? And so that's something I want you to think about, and this whole series we're calling Own It, and this is the first week that I'm calling Pick Up the Controller, and I hope that you'll do that. But, but it kind of ties in this whole idea that we've talked about um, at a staff level as a church. What we want is for people here at 6-8 Church to own not only their faith, but their church and their mission, and those are some of the things we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. We want owners, not renters. We want people who, who actually sign on the line and commit some skin to the game. When it comes to your faith, though, are you an owner or are you a renter? What's the difference between an owner and a renter? And you think about this, we're going to use this illustration throughout the course of the series. You know, if you've ever owned a house or rented a house or probably both, you know something is different, right? When you're renting and something goes wrong, who do you call? Not Ghostbusters, but the landlord, right? You call the landlord or you call the super, or you call someone and say, hey, you know, there's a leak in my apartment, would you come and fix it? And the landlord, because he owns the house, comes and fix it and he doesn't want his investment to go bad. But if you're the owner, if you don't have a landlord, if you have actually bought the house and like, uh, 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 what's the guy's name in Family Man, what's the character? Nicholas Cage. I can't remember his name in the, in the movie. But anyway, Nicolas Cage, anyone seen Family Man? Uh, you should watch it. It's a good movie. Um, it's another way, great way to watch somebody pretend to do something and, and waste hours of your life not actually doing anything as uh, watching movies. And that's my preferred method of wasting my life is watching, watching shows. But um, anyway, Nicolas Cage, he has this line in there when he's talking about their house. He you know, says, you know, when it's our house, we own it. And 122 more payments, it's going to be ours. And you know, that's kind of the same way for us. If you've finally signed on that line and you've got your mortgage, you own your house and so many more payments, it's going to actually be finally yours right now. It's kind of a partnership between you and the bank and you go through all this. But you know, when something happens and you're the owner and a pipe breaks, who do you call? You don't call the bank. Hey, uh, your house has a problem, Right? Of course, that's why you signed the 12,000 uh, documents at the beginning when you're buying this house so that they're not liable for all anything. And if something goes wrong, you have to fix it. And then at the end, if you don't make your payments, they get the house back, you know, all of that stuff. But um, you go out and you either hire a plumber 
Or if you want to, you try to fix it yourself. You go see where the leak is. You turn the water off, and you cut the pipe, and you put on new connections, new fittings, and you seal it back up, and you turn the water back on to test and see if you've got any leaks. And if you don't, then you're good. If you do, you go and you start over again. You work at it. You work at the problem and solve the problem when you own the house as opposed to expecting someone else to take care of it for you. Do you own your faith? Do you own your relationship with God, or are you renting? Renting, you know, it's a great thing to talk about on Mother's Day because what happens on Mother's Day, right, and this is, this, I'm not poking fun at anyone, I know this is just true, is that on Mother's Day, moms will say, hey, uh, why don't you come to church with me today because it's Mother's Day, right? And, and moms have this way, like we saw in the video, they can work the situation to say, hey, it's Mother's Day, so you better get here. If you want any ham after service, you better be here, right? And, you know, so they kind of work it, and so the kids show up. But then it's kind of this picture of, of who owns the relationship and who is renting the relationship with God. And so are we owning our relationship or are we renting it? Are we relying on someone else for their faith or do we have our own faith? And I do just want to speak to moms really quickly on this topic because I think it's awesome that we work hard to get our kids here every single Sunday, to get your kids to be in church and grow up in church. When I grew up, grew up in church Sunday morning and Sunday night and most Wednesdays, and we had revivals a couple times a year, and we would go and we'd do that, and then we had the big church picnic and all these other events. We were just kind of wrapped up and absorbed in church life, and I think that is a good thing, but we also need to be making sure that we're pushing our kids and encouraging our kids and teaching our kids and training our kids to have their own faith, not to just kind of mooch off of mom and dad's faith. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. If you have your phone, you can pull that out, and you've got uh, all of the announcements right there in the YouVersion Bible app, as well as the scriptures for today. So I'd encourage you to open that up, and there should be a slide we can throw up real quick on the, on the screen for you to, to be able to see that. But today I want to talk about this idea, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. You see, I think maybe some of us kind of got stuck in those elementary teachings, and because our parents wanted to bring us up in church, we learned that Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that is a great, awesome foundation where we all need to begin. But then have we ever moved beyond that to saying, yes, I know Jesus loves me, but I know this as well. Have we moved beyond the elementary teachings of Sunday school and started to mature in our faith? Jack Campbell, thank you, somebody texted that in. That was the character Nicolas Cage played in Family Man. Um, have you ever moved beyond that? Or are we still just kind of in that Sunday school mentality as adults? Have we really deepened our faith and put down roots of faith into our life, or are we just still kind of hoping that what we learned a while ago is going to carry us for a while? Do you have your own faith, or are you renting somebody else's? Maybe it's time to pick up the controller. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 talks about a lot of the great examples of faith that we see in the Old Testament, and one of those was Enoch, and there's actually not a whole lot in the Bible about Enoch. We know 
what is written here in Hebrews, and then we have this from Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 through 24. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, who was the oldest guy in the Bible. And he became the father, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. And that's literally all we know about Enoch. But then that, for some reason, was kind of enough of a starter for the author of Hebrews to be able to make this statement about him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. It says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and Hebrews chapter 11 shows us examples of all the people who had faith, who pleased God with their faith. They're not perfect people, just like I am not a perfect person. And I hope every Sunday you remember that. I'm sure that shines brightly as you're looking at me and as we're talking and we're thinking about things that, yeah, it's pretty clear, David, we know you're not perfect. And I hope you know that because there is nothing extra special about me when it comes to being the pastor of this church other than this is where God has put me and God has placed me and he has given me some gifts to be able to do this job that he has given to me. But when it comes to everything else, every other aspect, aspect of life, we are equals in God's eyes. It's the same for all of these characters throughout the book of Hebrews and throughout all of the Bible. We see these characters who sometimes we put up on pedestals because of the stories that we hear with them, but, but if you really read the Bible and you read the stories and everything that goes into making these characters who they are, you see that they are human, just like we are human. We see the struggles that they had in their life like we probably would have had, like Abraham. Jim and I were talking about this week, and you know, we kind of commend him for his faith because he was willing to obey God and follow God and sacrifice his one and only son on Mount Moriah because God had commanded him to do so. And so we kind of exalt Abraham for this big, epic moment of faith that we see. But there are also elements of Abraham's life where, where he lied about his wife and called his wife his sister so that the people of the town wouldn't want to kill him because he was afraid. And the reason I say this, not just to talk about me or these characters, is because this faith that we see exemplified in the Bible is also a faith that we can have. And I want us to know that. I want us to know that at a really deep level, that this faith that, that these people had as they walked with God and these epic ways as a faith that God has for us if we'll receive it. So we often talk about you know, putting your faith in God and what does that mean? What does that look like? I really want to dig into that this morning. I want to try to make that as clear 
as we possibly can. You know, we always talk about the ABCs, right, that we have to first admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior, that, that we did not live up to our standards or to God's standards, and that we needed somebody to come and pay the price for that. And we believe in the work that Jesus Christ did. He's the one who came and paid the price for our sins, and he died on the cross in our place. And so now he paid the ransom, and he set us free from the life of sin and death. And then we commit, that's the C, we commit our lives from this point forward to following Jesus Christ where his disciples were his follower, and we, we talk about this idea of believe, and believe was this thing that I really dug into for years, wanting to understand, because if that's what's required of us, if belief is what is required of us, then what does it mean to believe? And so some of the things that we've learned over the last couple of years as we've been digging into that is that belief means that we believe in something, not just factually and intellectually, but that we believe in something at a level where we're willing to take what we have learned in our heads and now reorient our entire lives around the truth. And as Rob has shared a couple of times as, he, as he's been able to, to teach, is that, that belief actually in the, in the Bible actually has that idea that if you believe something, you actually start to live your life as though you believe it. You don't just believe it intellectually. Your life changes as you believe it. So I think hopefully we have a good understanding of belief, but what is faith? How do we understand faith? See, our moms or our grandmothers, you know, those who have gone before us, lots of great examples of women in the Bible who had faith and how they instilled faith into those who came after them, like Timothy, if you want to go read that story. They may have their own faith, but their faith doesn't do anything for me. I cannot be saved through their faith. I have to have my own faith, right? I have to pick up the controller for myself and enter and engage in this life that God has given to me. I have to, we each have to, all of us have to choose to put our faith in God. So if we have to choose that, what does that mean? What does that look like? If it is only by putting our faith in God that that we can be adopted into his family as a son or a daughter, then we need to know what that means, right? Like, we want to be adopted into God's family. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We talk about that all the time. We want to be children of God, right? You are a child of God. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we put our faith in him, we become one of his children, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So there we see that this is the gift that we're receiving, that this is a gift from God, that the spirit we receive doesn't make us slaves so we live in fear, but the spirit we received brought about our adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba has often been described as, that, as a word that just kind of means daddy, you know, daddy. It's a term of endearment. It's a term that represents relationship. You call your father, your biological father, you call him father if you don't have a relationship with him. But if you have a relationship with your biological father, you call him dad or daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit that we received confirms in us that we are God's children. Verse 17, now if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Have you taken that step to, to receive the adoption that God wants to offer to you as a son or a daughter? Or are you still kind of looking at someone and their relationship 
To help give us an idea, I thought what better way to illustrate this than to have a couple of people come up and share who I have seen visibly over the last couple of years take a real ownership of their faith. And these are guys that you see on a regular basis, Stefan and Alex, they're up here uh, on Sundays leading you in worship, but maybe you haven't talked with them or don't have a relationship with them, but I'm going to ask them to come up if they will. And I just want to really quickly ask them to share with us about what has changed in their life to help them take the step from kind of observing faith and kind of somewhat participating to owning their faith. And so they knew I was going to ask. They're not put on the spot. They've had a little bit of time to prepare for this. So we're going to give them just a few minutes, and I'll come up if you get too long-winded. So, But uh, just let them share, and then maybe this will help encourage some of us here this morning. Anyways, uh, I want to start out, you know, like David's made a lot of illustrations, but I have, you know, one of my own just so that I can kind of bring home the point I want to make. Uh, I work for Subaru, and it's a where, I'm in the warehousing industry, and our, our specific warehouse kind of had like a big deal in the warehousing industry. We ended up being second in the country for our production and all that kind of stuff, and we're like, ooh, yay, that's like the Super Bowl for warehouses. We got second, you know, kind of blah, blah, blah. Anyways, but like, you know, our GM is like, oh, next year we're going for first, and number one ended up being VW, and it wasn't like VW as a company, but their specific warehouse out in like Tennessee or something like that, and so it's like, we know where they are now. We're going to get them, and so... Our, 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 uh, our GM walks in and he finds this part on the ground and he's like, what does this look like to you? And it, it was shaped like a one and he's like, oh, maybe that means something. And I'm like, yeah, number one next year, we're going to get this. And it's like, well, he's like, well, but we were not number one, so maybe we should throw it out. I'm like, no, 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 we got to post it on our door because we got to be number one now if we're going to actually win next year. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, that's what we're talking about this week. You know, we got to be number one now, right? We got to act like it if we're going to be it. So anyways, with that being said, I want you guys to own your faith now. I want you guys so, and when, when I'm done talking, the only thing I really want you guys to take away from this is get alone with God. And I mean like get alone with God when you're in the bedroom or the shower or the car, wherever you are, get alone and like really meet him when you say, Abba, Father, Daddy, here I am. And so with that, when you get alone with him, this is what I mean by owning it, like with your faith, where you say, God, thank you that you do love me. Like, you walk in and you're like, normally like, oh, what did, I, what did I look at yesterday? Or what did I say to that one person? Oh, you know, the enemy wants to get in your head real quick and be like, you're not loved by God. Are you kidding me? Remember what you did over there? No, no, no. Get rid of those voices. Get rid of that flesh and just say, God, your word, where's the Bible? I can't find it. It's normally right here. Your word says, and I'm going to drop everything off the thing. <laughs> your word says that you love me. I am a child now. Thank you that you love me. All those other voices are gone, right? So let me, let me get on track here. Um, and also, like, with owning it, knowing God's character, like, own what you know about God, because we have, like, lots of perceptions and stuff, and the enemy can lie to us a lot, and uh, knowing that God loves you. So, like, in James 1.13, when, you know, Rob can look it up and get it for us. Now I got it. James 1.13 says, um, Let no one say that God is tempting me, because God is not of evil. He's only going to give us this good stuff. That's kind of the Stephen's translated version, sorry. Uh, so, like, know that God is only for you and loves you. He's not putting anything bad in your life. Paul says, he's like, people accuse us of doing bad so that good may come. No, that, that's not right. We're doing good always. God always wants good for us. He's not going to put us through some, like, nasty thing just so that we, good comes from it. It's always good. We've got to remember that there is an enemy out there that wants us to not believe in God and not trust God. Hosea 4.6 
says that we are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. In Jude uh, 1.10, talks about people by their own understanding and what makes sense. They're being destroyed for that. So let's get the knowledge back about who God is and how much he loves us. So that way when we walk in that room and we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father, we know that he loves us that much more back and that's when that transformation starts happening. Really believe with your hearts when you walk in, all those voices about what you did that week, what, what's going through your head, what you just did like five minutes ago, that has no place because we are now children of God. Amen? Right? So we can go boldly before Christ and say, God, thank you that you love me so much. You are working in my life. I am a different person. So then what happens in your family when you start saying those things? Like moms, happy Mother's Day, by the way. You've said it a million times. When you're on Facebook and you scroll down, I don't know if you guys are on Facebook, and you see a news article saying like, you know, 10 things, signs that your kid might end up becoming this. Oh my gosh, because I saw my kid. They did that too. And oh God, what do I, and then like all of a sudden we're anxious and fear and stuff. Is that the source of who we are or is God, what he finished on the cross, the source of who we are? So that way, when we go before that and it's like, oh, I see that, but you know what? God, you've already won. (laughs) You won 2,000 years ago. So you're gonna be praying from a place of power for your child and all of a sudden you're gonna see the change in their life. You're not reacting out of fear because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of boldness, amen? Dads, when you come home, or fathers or men or boyfriends or whichever, you come home and you see your wife, you know, let's say, take it that she was freaked out about her kids or something like that, and like, oh, I just got home, wife's upset about something she read on Facebook, I just want a break. It's like, no, what's defining your happiness? God already winning. So you come home, you get in that secret place, and you say, God, I thank you so much for everything you've done. My wife out there, I love her so much, and you love me so much more. She's not defining my happiness today because she's upset. You're defining my happiness. So you walk back out of that room, and you just become Jesus to your wife and your family. Moms, you become Jesus to your kids. So I want you guys to just totally own this. So when you're alone with God, and that's what I said, I want you guys to take away. You walk in there believing that God loves you, and he will change your life, I guarantee you. I don't really need to say anything. No, it's all good. Um, I just feel overwhelmed right now. Like I've like some of you guys don't know like where I've been, but just the fact that I'm standing up on this stage right now is evidence that Jesus raised from the dead. Um, my family can testify with that. My brothers can testify with that. Uh, I used to be so so done, so 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 dead, so just hopeless. And uh, I struggled a lot of my life with seeing that, and I didn't understand faith. I didn't understand. I always thought that faith was waiting for God to do something. Um, faith is realizing that He's already done something, and I put myself in the position to receive what He accomplished when He when He died on that cross. He didn't just forgive my sin. He became it, and God crucified sin in the flesh. So sin has no dominion over me any longer. And if I'm humble enough to believe that in my secret place in my bedroom and say, God, wow, I feel so sinful based on what I've done. The devil is a God of my past, always whispering and reminding me of what I've done. I have to be so humble to step out of that lie and say, what you say has to be true because 2,000 years ago, and even more importantly, now you live inside of me. And all of a sudden, by grace, I'm saved. And saved does not mean heaven. It means, well, I guess it could mean heaven coming inside of me healed delivered protected preserved made whole kept safe and sound that is not a limited word that is not waiting for that day that is right now today you can be saved when you lay your hands on the sick the sick recover and it's like faith okay faith so i hear i listen to a guy that speaks and he talks about faith is uh 
It's the position of your heart to receive what he accomplished. So that's exactly what Stefan's talking about. You position yourself to receive the power of God. You position yourself to receive his love. I think our whole lives we've been trained to not receive love. So when this magnificent story comes, we have to try to do, you know, I guess the devil tries to do everything he can to water it down and make it seem like it doesn't matter. It's not real. And, and really, it's, it's so much bigger than a story. It's faith is the substance of what you hope for. So the Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So faith is the substance of Christ in me. So that means that it's the tangibility and the evidence of my life. Just like David said, my life reveals what I believe. But it all starts in the secret place. It's not, like, for me, I don't, like, it can be in the car and it can be at work, in the bathroom or whatever. But very rarely do I get the opportunity to do it now. But something that's changed my life dramatically is the presence of God, the tangibility of the Holy Spirit. I never believed in it. I never, th- I never thought that signs and wonders and all that stuff was real. But the first time I, f- I did it, I got in my room and I just opened my Bible. And I'm thinking, you know, I got to read a certain amount of whatever. But I just, I let that go and I just said, God, I don't want to ever read anything and not become it. I have to become this Bible. I don't want to just know this. I want to become it. I want the word to become flesh just like Jesus and like after a couple times he met me there like he really did like I couldn't even speak like I couldn't I didn't know how I didn't understand how it happened you know there's no explanation it's just that God is good he's so good he's so good I'm I'm telling you he's so he's so good to where like you you experience him and you just don't want to do it anymore like the thing the thing that was holding on to your life you just go oh my gosh I don't want that anymore that's how it is for me now I used to be a drug addict and I I used I was trained in in like recovery and stuff that it's always going to be this disease but Jesus heals sickness you know and he set me free completely and like Stefan like he always tells me like you're the example and the epitome of freedom and it's like no I'm not I, I am I am the normal standard of what it means to believe God like some of you guys don't know it but I mean my, my mom she's here today thank you God she's here her back was giving her terrible trouble and she couldn't even hardly move and when she comes my whole family comes and my brothers come and uh not going to put you guys on the spot but man like, you guys know what I've been through. You saw where I was, man. I swear, Jesus, I'm not even supposed to swear. Oh, man, sorry about that. I promise. I can't even say that. I'm just going to say yes, because my yes is yes. Jesus loves you so much. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I feel so convicted. Jesus is so real. He loves you. I promise you, he's so good. Oh, man, I just, I feel, I'm going way too long, but I just, I'm trembling right now. Like, I just want everybody to know this. I, I oh, man, I can't, I just can't stop saying I promise. It's just so, it's so concrete, it's so, it's so ridiculous, and life tries so hard to pull me out of it still to this day, whether it's circumstances or, or, or people or whatever, like life is trying to mold me instead of the potter. Life wants to put pressure on me, and instead of letting life put pressure on me, I yield myself to that pressure and let God do something amazing, and I look just like him when I come out of that place, and it's not arrogance, man. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just believing him. I can't do anything without him. My life before him is is destined for a grave is is overdose that's my life and if for that's what's cool about it for those that you for those of you that don't know me you would probably never think that that's who i was and that's the power of the gospel right there if, if nothing else that is the evidence of uh, of faith so that's all i got thanks i just encourage you after the service to to uh talk to these guys come up on the stage if they're still up here and just talk with them engage with them ask them questions they own their faith. They've taken great strides in the last uh, year, a couple of years, to own their faith. And they're great examples for us to follow, great examples for me to follow. And so just uh, don't, don't uh, miss this opportunity. 
But I think if we'll look around, we'll see others in our midst too can give us examples that we can look to and just hope that as we kind of as we embrace this series and embrace what God has for us and where God is taking us as a church, that my prayer and my, my, my deepest desire for us is that we would move beyond this idea that, that God and my relationship with God is just something I kind of do on Sundays when I feel like it, and then the rest of the week is my time. But when we own our faith in God, then everything we realize becomes His because it's all His anyway, if we really understand that and really know that. And our, our responsibility, our goal, and our aim in life is now to, to live out what He has given to us. We're going to talk about that in just a minute because they, they put it so well about faith as something that we receive, the gift of God, and what is that gift of God that, we, that we've received. But before we get to that, I just... I want to address a couple of things because um, this, this is something I deal with uh, on a pretty regular basis as the pastor of a church, and I hear these, these statements all of the time, and um, I want to address them as graciously as I can, but at the same time, I do need to speak the truth into our lives about them. See, faith is, like we said, it's owning it, that it's receiving this gift that God has given to us, which we're going to talk about, but but too many times, because I think we're Americans, we translate that to mean owning it, okay, because I own it, now I can do it my way. And so now that this is my faith, I'm just going to do what I want with it. I'm going to live how I want with it. And while there is some small manner of truth, you can follow God in a way that's personal to you. We've twi- taken that and twisted that and stretched that to become something that is really dangerous and disastrous in the church. See, I follow, I follow God in my own ways. You know, that's the statement we give, right, when, when, he's, when the pastor talks to us on Sundays or someone is saying, hey, you know what, we, we notice this or that, we notice that, and, you know, we, we, we really wish you would do this or we really wish you would do that, and I don't want to give a whole lot of examples. My, the easiest example is coming to church, but I don't want you to think I'm just talking about being at church, but, of course, we're going to learn here in just a minute that being at church is a very important part of having faith. And, but, and we'll say, well, hey, we missed you last Sunday, and uh, you'll say, well, you know, I just, you know, just kind of doing things my own way. I just, just, you know, church isn't really my thing. It's not really my gig, you know, so I just, I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm just going to kind of, you know, I've got my own church, and this is a great example. I'm going to pick on my father-in-law just a, a little bit. I didn't ask him for permission to do this, but he's a really strong, committed Christian, so don't hear anything negative about him in this, but he does like to fish. And this is a great example because he posted this on his Facebook page uh, a few weeks ago, and this is what he said. He said, I attended Columbia River Community Church this morning, heard great things about it, but it was not welcoming to visitors. Only members were included. My offering was not accepted. A lot of baptisms by sprinkling also. We'll try a different church next time, maybe Lake Merwin Baptist or Cowlitz River Orthodox. I thought thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty funny. But... um, but we do that, right? And we'll say, well, this is my church. You know, but we don't mean this is my church. We'll say, well, you know, I go out and, you know, I kind of I hike around in the morning, you know, and I just kind of, you know, get up on the mountain and, you know, that's my church. Well, that's not church. That's not what church is. So don't ever say that again. And I'll 
reserve the right to smack you upside the face if you say that because that's not what church means. You can go up there and you can worship God and you can enjoy all of the goodness that God has given you when you're up on the mountaintop, but that's not church. You can say, well, my church, you know, church for me is, you know, is just resting and, and you know, that's why I sleep in on Sunday mornings. You know, you know I go to church with uh, uh, Reverend Pillow and, uh, you know, he just really has a lot to say to me on, on Sunday mornings. I just say, you know, I just you know, it's just too much truth that I just can't deny it. And so I just kind of lay there and absorb all that Reverend Pillow has for me. And so we say, well, that's, you know, that, that's my church. Well, that's not church. We think, well, I can just do it my own way and it's going to be good. But see, what we have to start to realize is we think we're doing things our way. The reality is we're robbing ourselves of real faith. We think, I, yeah, I think, you know, I can just, I can... I can pursue God however I don't need to read his word. I don't need to pray. I don't need to worship. I don't need to surrender. I can just, I can just do what I want. I can just follow God how I want, and it's all going to work out. And, you know, I, I worship God in my own way. I, I, kinda, I, I do this God thing in my own way. But by doing it my own way, what we're really saying is that I don't really have any faith. I don't really have any belief. I don't really have any understanding of what God says because nothing about faith is my own way. Everything about faith is receiving what God has done his way to give to me. Faith does not begin by coming to God on our own terms. And if that's how you've come to God, you will never have faith that way. Sounds harsh, but I want to be honest. I want to be truthful with you this morning. See, faith doesn't begin when we come to God on our own terms and we kind of lay out all the expectations we have of God and we want you to do this and I expect you to do this and I expect you to give me this and I expect you to act this way towards me and when you don't, I'm done. That's what it means to kind of follow God on our terms. But really what faith is is laying down our terms and starting to trust what God says. So we have to lay down our terms. We have to lay down all of the stuff that we bring to the relationship before we can actually receive what God has because we're so busy holding on to my own terms and my own expectations and my own ideas for what this relationship with God is is that my arms are full of my own junk and my own garbage. I have no way to receive what God has for me. And it's not until I finally take that step of laying it all down, give it up, surrender, then I can receive what God has for me. One of my favorite scriptures that I learned in vacation Bible school as a kid was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You've probably heard of it. It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Or some translations say he will direct your paths. And Just so much truth there I want to unpack for you. I don't have time to really do it justice. But let's just look at the four statements. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just the parts that we're okay with letting them have, but all your heart. Not just the, the parts that we want are okay, but you know, we're going to hold back the rest for ourselves. Like, God, you can have this compartment and this compartment, and you can take that and you can take that, but I'm going to keep the meat of my heart for myself. You know, I'm just going to kind of cling on to what I have, and, and you can have the leftovers. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not only trusting God when we want something from him. <laughs> we do that, don't we? Say, I want something from God. Okay, God, I really want you to give this to me. I really want you to do this for me. So I'm, right now, while I'm wanting this from you, I'm going to live like you want me to live. I'm going to be who you want me to be, and hopefully I can manipulate you into giving me what you want. And so, you know, I really want this from you. Will you give it to me if I live like I think I'm supposed to live? And then when he does give us good things, well, we just kind of go back to our own devices. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that as a pastor. People come to us in a struggle and a hurt, and they need God's help. And, you know, they kind of turn to the church, you know, I, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. I'm, I'm kind of at the end of my rope. I really need some help. And so, uh, I, I'm going to come to the church. Maybe God can help me now. And so God does help them, and God intervenes, and God gives them something to really take them to the next step. And then all of a sudden, you know, things are good, and they just kind of drift, right? And they just kind of, you know, oh, I missed last week. I'm sorry. You know, I missed last month. You know, I haven't been there in about six years. You know, and then something bad happens, and then they come looking for help again. That's not trusting the Lord with all our hearts. See, belief, you know, that's, we believe and we surrender and we give everything over to God, and then what we have to understand, that God is a takeover God. He's going to come in. He wants to take over everything. The mistake that too many of us have made is we think that God is something that we add to our lives, and I can kind of pile up this image of who I am, and we can kind of walk through life in this way, and I can just put God up here as this cherry all the way on top, and, you know, everything is good now because I've added God to my life. Well, how much of your life are you strong enough to hold? How much of God are you able to hold? Because eventually, you're going to crush under the weight of it. I like my life. I, I like my life, but you know, I like the idea of having God at my own disposal. So I'll add God to my life, so I can keep what I already have and get what I want out of God. It's kind of like the best of both worlds, right? So just give me what I want. That's not trusting the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's the doing it my way Christianity I was just talking about. Don't rely on your ability to figure things out. Don't just trust in your own ideas. You're not as smart. We're not as smart. I'm not as smart as I think I am. We need to have an understanding of God's word and God's truth and God's wisdom. And when things aren't working like they need to, we don't need to just rely on our own understanding. We need to get God's understanding for a situation, for our life, for our struggle. When you need help with how to live, go to the one who wrote life in the first place. When you need help on how to live this life, go to the one who designed this life. When you need help overcoming the flaws and the brokenness of this world, go to the one who designed the original perfect operating system. Don't rely only on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is what we would call walking humbly with our God. In everything, in everything, we give God credit and praise. In everything, we make much of Jesus. We walk humbly with our God. We walk, yes, we're the ones that have to do the walking, but we walk humbly. We walk with God in humility, recognizing it's God who's doing the work in us and through us. And all your ways acknowledge Him. We, we acknowledge that He is the one who's worthy of praise for the successes and the gains and the profits of my life, that it's not anything that I have done, but God has chosen to give it to me. I'm just receiving it, and my duty is to be His faithful servant with what He's giving, him, giving to me, and so I just acknowledge Him in it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And notice here comes the promise, right? Here comes the fulfillment of what happens if you do those things. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you don't lean on your own understanding, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, then what happens? He will direct your paths. 
The problem is, you know, we kind of get our paths all screwed up and twisted and, well, then we want God to come in and fix it, but we haven't done the first three yet. God, straighten my path. Give me a straight path to walk on it. Well, have you trusted me? God, I really need you to help me know how to solve this problem. Well, but have you tried leaning on my understanding? Okay, God, you kind of got me through that. Well, uh, kind of, you know, it's kind of me. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of awesome, and so, you know, I kind of did that myself. You know, yeah, you were there to kind of catch me if I fell, God. You know, I, I kind of get that, but, you know, it's really, it's really just me, and I just kind of did it, and I'm the one who worked hard. So, you know, yay, God. Good, good work. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, that Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. I don't know if you know much about adoption and, and all that's entailed there. My brother has adopted two boys from China and could tell you they would not really identify as being adopted. They would identify as being sons of Jonathan and Tamla Lindner. That is who they are. And there's a lot that has taken place in that, and there was a lot of struggle early on, and there's a lot of stories they could tell you about some of the struggles they had with some of the things that were occurring there. And, but now, you know, you talk to them. They were actually here uh, last summer, and, and you see, you know, as, as I like to joke, they're going to be the only redneck Chinese kids in all of humanity because <laughs> they've received the sonship of their father, right? They've received this. And it's not something that they did to earn it. I mean, there were, there were boys in an orphanage in an oppressed culture, and, and what happened was nothing that they did to receive this, but but my brother and his wife and their church and they rallied around this idea and they all and they went together and the, and now my my brother adopted adopted them into their family now they are sons of my brother it was just a gift that they received and now they're sons now they understand that now they have a father they didn't have a father before but now they have one because they were adopted and now they have to just learn to receive their sonship and faith this walk with God is really that it's learning to be a son. It's learning to be a daughter. This is, this, is, this is what we have to do. We have to receive it, and then now faith owning it is walking out what it means to be that son. We, we receive the gift. Faith is not something we do. Faith is something we receive. Have you received this from God? Faith is a gift from God. Four points, and we're going to be done here. I know it's kind of long this morning, but Faith is a gift from God. That's the first one. It's not something we produce. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. It's a gift. This is a gift from God. Have you received your gift? Number two, faith is what enables us to live out God's plan for our lives. Think about it. We say all the time that we cannot live the life required of us in our own power. You've heard me say that we talk about that quite often, that, that, the, that the regulations and, and the expectations for us as followers of Jesus Christ are not something we have the power to live out. 
And yet many of us are crushed under the weight of trying to live it out because we're trying to do it on our own strength and we think we can prop up our lives and hold all of the weight of the expectations of being this kind of person on our own. And we don't want God's help. We want to do it our way. And so we, we, we find ourselves crushed under the weight of the expectations and we don't realize that it's not in our ability to work. It's in God working in us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. We are now the temple of the Lord Most High. God Himself dwells in us, and now He gives us the power to live out His life. See, if we don't have faith in the triune God who gives us the power to live His life, how are we going to ever live it at all? You can't. First John chapter 5, verse 2 through 5 This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. Faith without action is dead. We're going to get to that in just a second. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. How do you know that you love God? By keeping His commands. His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. His commands are not burdensome, and if you find yourself under the weight, if you find yourself under the burden of His commands, then where is your faith? Your faith is not in God. Your faith is in your own ability to live out what you think you're supposed to do. See, faith leads us also to action. Faith in God is not burdensome for me. I receive the gift, and He gives me the power to live out the gift, and then faith always leads us to action. And this is why we harp on this so much of the time, because faith without works is dead. James chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without, is without clothes and daily foods. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, faith by itself, you know, I can believe in, in the Holy Spirit power of Super Mario Brothers, and I can enjoy all that God does through that game, but if I never actually go to work and pick up the controller and start entering into the game God has called me to, it's just, what is it? it's just superstition. Some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. In other words, Show me your faith. Without, how do you see faith if there are no deeds attached to it? Try to show it to me is what James is. Try to show me this faith that doesn't have any action accompanying it, and I will show you my faith by what I do. I won't have to preach my faith to you. You'll see my faith being lived out. And he says, I love this, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief in God is not enough. You cannot just intellectually believe that there is one God and be afraid of Him. You have to actually take that step of receiving the gift that He wants you to have of sonship or daughtership, adopting you into the kingdom. You foolish person. See, you thought I was harsh and mean, but this is James. I don't ever call you guys fools. Maybe I should. Um, (laughs) You foolish person, do... You want evidence that faith without deeds is useless. Do you want to, I want some evidence. Let's see the evidence that he's going to offer. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. See that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Listen to this. Here's the, here's the summary. Here's the point. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, faith is a gift. Faith is not burdensome, but faith always, always, every time leads us to act, leads us to live, leads us to live out what has been given to us. And the body without the spirit is dead. And we all know someone who has passed away. And we see when, when their spirit is no longer with them, they have died. So faith without deeds, without action is dead. And I'm not just talking about, you know, what he, the illustration he used. It's an illustration when it comes to, you know, clothing and food for those who don't have it, but it's the living out of what God says. Are, are you actively putting into action your faith? Getting close, I promise. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So you say, okay, well, I want to have faith, so how do I receive this faith? This is a gift of God, right? I want this faith. Tell me about this faith. How do I receive this faith? Well, here we have the, the prescription, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible specifies the way or the means that God gives faith to people. So if you want faith, if you want to receive faith, this is one reason why it's so important to be at church every single Sunday is because we receive faith when we receive God's Word. Faith comes from hearing the message. What is the message? Not just my message that I share on Sunday, but the message of the gospel, which is life and peace. And the message is heard through the Word about Christ. So if you want faith, you have to hear what God says is the truth, and you receive this truth. It's the Word of God that produces faith. Someone could receive faith while hearing a sermon, teaching the gospel. Someone else could read about Jesus in the Bible. Anytime the true gospel of Jesus is communicated, there is potential for faith. And lastly, this point's going to carry on for a minute, so just bear with me. Faith is something we must be good stewards of. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, this is Paul talking, and he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. If faith is this gift you have received, then our lifetime now is the stewardship of this gift. See, maybe, maybe you're not where i am kind of been talking so far up to this point, you know, You've already put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you've, and you've been building this relationship with him, but what are you doing now as a steward of this gift? How are you handling this gift that has been given to you? Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. It's what we want, right? We, we want that We want that that reward, and how do we do it? It's by living out and, and acting out and applying and living this faith here in this life. All right, how do we receive this faith? How do we receive? I want this faith. I want to receive it for myself. How do I do it first? Just like being, learning how to become a son, it's like building any relationship. Would you expect to build a new relationship with someone by only seeing them a couple of times a month, a couple of times a year, 
maybe? How are we going to have a relationship, this life-giving relationship? How are we going to receive this gift of God's love if we never actually see them, never talk to them, live with them in relationship? See, it's easy for life to kind of squeeze this out because it just seems superfluous to, to life, but really this is the most significant relationship in all of life. And what would it change in our lives, in your life and in mine, if today we realize that this is the most significant relationship in my life? How would this change my approach to God, that, that this relationship with this God, this Father God who has adopted me as a son or a daughter now brings me into the kingdom of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of all things. He brings me in and gives me a seat at the table and makes me a co-heir with his son who died on the cross for me. If we realized that this relationship was everything about life and I treated that as the most important thing, how would it change your life today if we started living this way? How would it change my life? We just got to flip the thinking. It's not just something we add to life. It's something that becomes life itself. So outside of Sunday morning, then how do I do this? Well, we spend time with God. It's really that simple. Like Alex and Stefan were talking about, spending time with God. For me, my car is my favorite time with Him. It's quiet. can turn off the radio. I can just listen to God. I can talk to God. I can worship God. I spend time with God. Are you spending time with him or are you just kind of mailing it in? I know this is a real soft Mother's Day message. That's just how we roll here. One of the questions I'll get from time to time is, you know, how do I know what God's voice sounds like? How do I know if God is telling me to do something or not? And the answer is simple. You have to learn what his voice sounds like by reading his word. You see, he's given us this beautiful thing called the Bible, and in it, it's just this miraculous document of, of all of the, of the journey of faith that we need as believers, and so much of what we need to do, actually 95 or so percent maybe, it was, I don't know exactly, but a lot of it is in there. All we need to do is know it and learn it and receive it. And then if God is telling us to do something, we can say, you know what, that sounds like God because God sounded like this here and he sounded like this here, he sounded like this there. Oh, wait a second, that doesn't sound like God because God never said it's all about you. Uh, so, you know, I can learn to dis make the distinguishing, uh, to distinguish between God's voice and my voice and the voice and the lies of the enemy. So we have to learn what his voice sounds like by reading and consuming and internalizing his word. We have to pray. This is how we talk with God, right? We pray, but not selfishly. Most of us approach our prayer life this way. We go to God with what we want from God. What if you just prayed to communicate with your Creator? What if you just prayed to talk with your Father? What if you just prayed to, to learn who God is? Like talking to God like He's not just your best friend, but your best mentor, See, a lot of us never really know what God's voice sounds like because all of our prayer time is just us talking to God and demanding Him to do things for us, but we don't really listen to us. God is a genie in a bottle and a vending machine, and we think if we pray enough times, He's just going to give us what we want. 
But you say to me, oh, I don't know how to pray. No one really said that, but, you know, I'm just assuming maybe there's someone here that would say that. I don't know, I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? I don't know what it means. Well, one of the ways, one of the great ways to pray is to just pray God's Word back to God. It's just as you're, as you're communicating and you're praying, you just pray God's Word back to Him, and you'll hear us do that here as we pray at the church. But another way to learn how to pray is to mimic the prayers of the Bible, and God gave us this great example. When Jesus Himself was teaching us how to pray, He gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? And you know it. You probably said it. You hear it on TV all the time, used out of context. And <laughs> but we know it's our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We just kind of, you know, say, well, it's just rote. We don't even think about it anymore. But think about it. Look at how it begins. Our Father. Random deity in the sky, might you shine upon me your favor? No, it's our Father. This isn't even just Luke's Father, but this is the real Father, our Father. Notice he starts with our, not my Father. This relationship, this community with God is something that is supposed to be done in community and relationship with other believers, but more on that later. This is our, we, us together, our faith, our owning. Our faith means that we own the role that we play together in the family, and you can't have faith in God apart from God's family. You have to be in God's family to really understand faith in God, but again, we're going to talk about that more next week. We are a family. We're the body of Christ together. We are our, and this is who he's talking to when he says our Father. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. This is just worship, worshiping God for His holiness like Jim talked about last week, worshiping Him for, for who He is. This is thanking God for, for His nature and His creator, or as creator and His character that never changes. This is who God is. This is worshiping Him. This is what we do here together. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love that line. We want God's kingdom to come in the world around us, right? That's what we pray. You build your kingdom here. God, build your kingdom here as a part of 6A Church and use, your, use 6A Church to build your kingdom here in Hazelville. We want that. We talk that. We sing that. We want God to build his kingdom here. We want to be a part of that. We want God's will to be done on earth, in our communities, in our lives, as it is in heaven. Think about that line. As your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is God's will done in heaven? It's just done. And this is our prayer. We're praying, God, do your will in my life. Do your will in my church. Do your will in my family. Do your will in my community. Do your will as I work. Do your will as I live. In the same way as your will is done in heaven, may I be so faithful to living out what you have given me as your son that your will is just done. God, I want you to do in and through my life exactly what you want and the way you want to do it. I am your servant. Use me. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need for this day. For in a daily relationship with God, trusting him to provide each and every day, we don't have to worry as much about tomorrow, which we're also not supposed to do. 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive our sins in the same way we forgive those who have sinned against us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we not, we're not supposed to hold any offense against anyone. We're not just supposed to hold it in. We just forgive. We have been forgiven much in what Christ did for us, so we offer out and dish out and give forgiveness. No matter what has been done to us, no matter the pain and the torture and the turmoil that has been brought on your life at the hands of someone else, we forgive Are you holding on to something that's keeping you from knowing God? Let it go. Consider that debt that that person owes you is paid in full because your debt was paid in full. As you forgive others, you'll understand and experience more and more of God's grace in forgiving you. As you forgive others, you will understand and experience more and more of God's grace in forgiving you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Satan would love nothing more than for you to think that you're going to start following God and come in and distract you and get you disappointed in yourself for not being able to follow through. That's a great tactic of the enemy to keep you off track. See, you need God's help to truly follow God. You need God's strength to be able to be strong enough to follow God. And Satan would love nothing more than to get you off track. But since faith is a gift that God gives us, the more that we know the one who gives the gift, the more that we'll understand the gift itself. Right? I mean, the more we know the gift giver, the more we understand the gift. And the more we understand the gift and the one who gives us the gift, the less we will be tempted to go off and do things that create distance between us and the gift giver. That's how you can pray. And then lastly, one way to just get to know God is look for God's activity in your daily life. God is active in your life each and every day. He is at work in your day-to-day life. He's not only at work here on Sunday mornings. He is at work in your life as you go out on mission and you serve and live for him. God never sleeps. That means he's awake before you wake up, so he's there already working things for you for that day. He's at work orchestrating the things in our life for the purpose of drawing us closer to him and for the purpose of making much of his name and building his kingdom. Look for what God is doing. There's this verse we use all the time in Romans. We're actually going to sing the song about, you know, if God is for us, then who could stand against us, right? We, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to, our pur- according to his purpose, not our purpose. We know that, right? We know that in all things, God is working for the good. That's his plan. He's working for the good in all things. Notice it doesn't say that it's all good things, right? We know that in all good things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's in all things. That, that means that there are going to be bad things that happen to us. We live in a broken and fallen world. People are going to hurt us. People are going to wound us. People are going to disappoint us. Things are going to happen. Things are going to blindside us. There's going to be trouble and trial as a part of living in this world But that's all things. But see, when you're in a faith relationship with God, when you have received this gift and now you're living it out, 
those all things that come our way, all the bad things, all the good things, all the medium things, all the in-between things, all of those things are nullified because we know that in everything, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So that means whatever you're walking through this morning, whether it's good or whether it's a trial, whether it's hard, whether it's easy, God is working for the good in it because in all things, for those who follow him, he's working for the good. So look for God's activity in your daily life and just ask yourself this question. Who is God working this way for? What is God working right now? How is God working? Where do I see God at work in my life? And who is he working it for? He's working it for those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. Faith is learning to become a son. It's not anything we do to receive the gift of sonship. It's just learning to be that son. You can watch someone else live out their life of faith. You can watch them as they learn to be a son or a daughter. You can watch them as they, as they walk through this thing that we call life. Oftentimes we call it the game of life, right? And they walk through this game of life and the whole time they're learning what it means to be a son or a daughter, to learn to receive their adoption into the kingdom. And you can watch them, and there's great things you can learn, just like you can watch that walkthrough and learn how to beat the game. You can watch and learn so many things from those who have gone before us in the life that they've led, which is what so many mothers have done so well, is that they have walked this life, and they've set a great example for us in the faith, and they're, they're out there in front of us living this life. But see, if we never take the step from watching and observing their life to finally picking up the controller and living my own life, of faith. Now it's not just what my mom did, it's not just what my grandma did, it's, it's the gift I have received. It's all good when they got it right, but now it's my gift and I just get to receive it and live it out. You don't have to make the game, you don't have to learn how to win the game. You don't have to make all the rules of the game. You don't have to do anything with the game. You just follow God as he leads you through the game. The band's going to come. We're going to close in communion and everyone breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> but I just want to challenge us all today. Is, are, you, are you living your own faith or are you watching somebody else's? Have you received this gift, or are you still holding on to all of your expectations and your plans and dreams and whatever it is, and you have no room, no way to receive God's gift because you're holding on to your own junk? Are you trying to just add God to this thing that you carry, and you know, maybe I'll be able to carry it, but it's crushing you under the weight of something you were never designed to be able to carry. Lay it down. Just, just lay it down forever and walk from this point and surrender and learn how to become a son, learn how to become a daughter. But maybe you're here and you've been in this relationship for a while and things have just kind of grown stagnant, then you're just kind of mailing it in and you at one time were passionate and sold out and on fire for, 
for, for God and you just kind of had this burning desire. So God, whatever you say, whatever you want, I'm, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm going to do it from this point forward. You know, I, I'm all yours. And then life happened, right? And life kind of kicks you in the knees and blows out your ankle. And all of a sudden you just find yourself crippled and struggling under the weight of this life. And now you've walked away from really living this passionate life to just trying to hopefully maybe I can get to the end. See, our... Uh, if God were to just kind of come in and audit how you've been a steward of the faith and the gift that he's given to you, what would the report look like? What would it say about your walk with God today? What would it say about where you stand with God? Would it say, well, I had this experience with him at this point in time, but that was it. I, you know, I was good back then with Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so, but really I haven't really ever gone beyond that. God, I need, I, need, I need you today. So no matter where you are, we've probably all got stuff that we need to lay down, and we just need to finally lay it down and leave it there and just learn from this day forward to walk. Walk in the gift. Walk in the gift you've received. It's not anything on you to do. You just receive it and just receive this gift and just walk in it and learn what your dad's voice sounds like and learn what it means to be a son or a daughter. Just receive it. To receive, you have to lay it down. You have to lay everything down. That's why it says, anyone who would come after me must deny himself. It starts by laying down everything that we have. Our, our life has to be laid down. We lay it all down. And we take up the cross. We take up his mission for our life. We, we take up the call of the cross, which is sacrifice. We, we take up the burden of the cross, which is the joy of the Lord. And now our lives are about His mission, His purpose, and following Him. Would you stand? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank You for this amazing gift that you've given to us. I thank you for this gift of faith that is just there for the receiving, if we will receive it. For any here who, who just aren't sure, Father, I pray right now by the power of your spirit, alive and active and at work in this place, here gathered among your believers who are here together this morning, we know that you are with us. Your presence is here with us this morning, we acknowledge that, and I pray by that power, that spirit, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, I pray, Father, that you would send your spirit to open the eyes and the minds of the heart of those who are not believing in you yet this morning, that they would be able to receive this truth. Father, replace the lies of the enemy in all of our hearts and and root out all of those distractions that Satan would use to keep us off track from following you and replace them now with your truth. Father, I pray for any who are here who just don't have the courage, I pray that they would find themselves emboldened this morning by something they can't explain, but that your spirit is just pushing them to take that step of faith to living it out for you. And for those of us who have been living for a while and just kind of gotten cold and used to it, Father, I pray that that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead would now raise us again once more from the death that we have kind of put back on and received from the life that you set us free from and set us free from that life of sin and death and help us to walk again in the newness of life that you give us. 
And Father, may we from this point forward be those who own our faith. From this point forward, may we be those who who take this gift that you have given to us and we work the rest of our lives to being good stewards of the gift we have received building this relationship with our Father who just happens to be the King of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.